Psalm 42 starts by saying this, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? I don't know very much about deer, so I did a little bit of research on deer. Here's what I found out just reading this psalm where the deer is panting and and this idea of thirsting after the living God. Deer, if you found them, if you just came upon a deer in its ordinary habitat at an ordinary time, you would actually be surprised to find it panting. Most of the time, you would not find it panting. In fact, I read that deer are not known as thirsty animals. Now, of course, deer, just like any animal, are going to drink water, um, but actually they don't drink that much water and uh, they get most of their hydration from their food food. And so you read this psalm and say uh, right off the beginning, but as the deer pants for the stream of water, you think, well, when then would a deer be panting? When would you find a deer panting? And there are a couple of circumstances. One of those circumstances would be if a deer is being pursued, if it is being hunted, if there is predators that are coming after the deer. So deer mostly are very calm. They they don't even have to move much. They just kind of graze and do their thing. But of course, they are a hunted animal. They are often prey. And if they have to run, if they have to go into survival mode, that that kind of fight or flight thing that even some of us feel, and and they're trying to get away, that's when you're going to find them panting because they're going to be depleted, because they're all of a sudden going to be dehydrated in a way that normally they are not dehydrated. And, And as they run, one of the greatest dangers for a deer is actually their scent. That the predators, most of their predators, are being alerted to their presence and following them, chasing after them in one primary way because of their smell. And so if you found a deer that was panting, you're probably finding a deer who is in danger, a deer who is running for its life, a deer who is being hunted and is getting depleted. And the dangers are, of course, that one, they're going to get caught, and two... Um, that that they're going to get so tired and that they're going to be so depleted in their energy and their resources and their their hydration is that they're going to collapse. And of course, both are going to lead to the same thing. And so a deer who is being hunted is going to be attracted to water for two reasons. One, because they are going to get thirsty in a way that normally they do not get thirsty. But in the second circumstance, because they need to get the scent off of them so that they can be safe from the predator that is coming behind them. They need to be safe from the danger. And so a deer who is panting will run and run and run to drink and be replenished, but also to plunge itself into the water, into the stream to wash off its scent and to be safe. As a deer pants for the stream of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, the God of life in perhaps a life and death situation. When can I go and meet with God? The psalmist echoes a desperation and says that the deer panting for the stream of water, so many of us have a similar experience where we pant for the living God. From our innermost being, from our souls, we thirst for the living God, the God who can give me all the resources, the God who can wash me clean, who can wash the stench off of me that helps the predators and the threats and anything that might come against me lose its scent and pursuit. Perhaps you've felt that kind of desire. Perhaps you've been in that kind of situation. A situation where you feel desperate. A situation where you feel vulnerable. A situation where you feel like there are things in life that are coming after you. Perhaps you've felt that you have not been in the presence of God who gives you everything that you need. 
the resources, the water for your soul, the water that, that washes off the scent that's attracting the threats. As a deer pants in its desperation, you might pant, say, I need the presence of the living God. The need for vitality, for life, for purpose and meaning and goodness. During COVID, there was a lot of mental health professionals, uh, you know, all that we went through in, in COVID and all the effect on uh, our minds and our emotions and our bodies. And one of the things that got talked about a lot during that time uh, is there were so many things we couldn't do and there were so many limitations and there were so many uh, effects that were, again, physical and emotional and even spiritual. And one of the things that came out from a lot of mental health researchers uh, was a description of what so many of us felt, which they called languishing. And languishing, it wasn't quite depression and it wasn't quite burnout, but it had a lot of the same kind of symptoms, those symptoms where you felt like you just didn't have real life in you, where you felt sort of an emptiness, an aimlessness, a joylessness, where you would say, my resources, even when I don't feel like I'm doing a ton of things, my resources feel depleted, where I need something, this sense of something deeper that's, that's, that's pushing me along, that's giving me what I need, that's energizing me in whatever way that might be. Again, physically, emotionally, spiritually that maybe we might say many of us were panting. We felt like there was some kind of danger always lurking behind us, even if it was just sort of low level, a dull sense of being diminished or not having the spiritual emotional resources to flourish in life. And so we pant, we long for what we really need. If you read through Psalm chapter 42, and I encourage you to do that, uh, you can read what those experiences were for the psalmist. He, he talks about in those things uh, times of danger. Talks about times of heartbreak. And specifically his heartbreaking because uh, it seems like uh, he had at some point in his life experienced some sort of access to God that now in whatever situation this was speaking of, he was not experiencing this longing to say, at one point in time I had this flourishing spiritual life. I had access to God. I felt like God was listening to me, hearing to me, intervening for me. And now I don't feel like that. And I'm panting. I'm panting. There's danger. There's heartbreak. There's discouragement over and over. He says, he talks about my soul, soul, why are you so downcast within me? Why are you so discouraged? Why are you languishing? And so he uses this word of panting, of being thirsty, of longing for the living God and the living water to jump in and to drink of, to get everything that he needs. Uh, the Bible has a lot of examples of people who are longing for vitality, um, over and over, we can read different stories and, and different aspects. One of them comes from the book of Ezekiel. In the book of Ezekiel, um, the people, there's these moments where uh, the prophet Ezekiel is speaking to people who are in exile. Now, exile in the Bible, um, it, it literally it talks about people, the people of Israel, who at different points and different times, happened more than once, were conquered in their land. And then whatever nation came along and conquered them, defeated them in war, would take their people and send a whole bunch of them out so that they couldn't live in their land anymore. So they were then displaced. They were away from their culture. They were away from their family. Even more than that, for the people of Israel, exile became a way of talking about symbolically being out of the presence of God, out of his blessing, 
When they were in the land, they were where God had, had, had placed them. God had promised them that land. Where the temple was, it was the center of their religious life, where they could go and, and, and find the presence of God and worship him and to be replenished. And so people who found themselves in exile found themselves very needy. Again, culturally displaced, away from their family, away from the presence of God in a place that was distant, in a place that was unfamiliar, in a place where they didn't fit in, in a place where they were uh, often mistreated, in a place where they did not feel like they were at home. People who perhaps could very much associate with a psalm like 42, as the deer pants for water, oh, we pant, we long for the presence of God that we do not feel. And Ezekiel uh, was speaking to those people, and there's a number of different visions in Ezekiel's uh, pretty wild and crazy books. But one of the, the uh, visions of Ezekiel has come, become kind of famous, and it comes from chapter 37, uh, where there's this vision, and, and God is speaking to Ezekiel, and he shows them this, this valley of dry bones, just a bunch of bones, no flesh, no muscle, no life. It's a valley of death dry bones. And at one point, God says to Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones become living people again? And Ezekiel responds, only you know to God. This is a pretty desperate statement. God, I'd love to know if these bones could become life again. Right now they're dry. The seeming answer would be no, of course. These are corpses. There's no flesh. There's no muscle. There's no blood. There is no life. People experiencing a languishing and a lack of vitality. People thirsty to experience real purpose, meaning, and joy. And perhaps you are there or you have been there. The symbolism of being dry and also then of water is a pronounced theme in the Bible. So as we read through some of those difficult passages that are hard, they're not real encouraging at that point, um, but asking the question, is it possible in the dryness and in the desperation for life to return? Only 10 chapters later in Ezekiel, we have another vision, and it is a drastically different vision. It's one of the temple. Remember, the temple uh, is the center of the religious life, the spiritual life of the Israelites. It's the place where they would come and believe they would find the concentrated presence of God. This is where we worship. This is where we're reminded of the most important things in life. This is where we're reminded of who God is and what our relationship to Him is, and therefore what our relationship to other people is. This is where if we're dry and we're withering in our innermost being, we want to be able to go and hopefully in those moments we find something that's life-giving that brings us everything that we need. Listen from Ezekiel chapter 47 to what this vision is and it's, it's, all of this comes from the temple. It says in the second half of verse 6, Then he led me, God led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, This water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Araba, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. 
Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the, sea, the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to en- Englam, and there will be places for spreading net. The fish will be of many kinds like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. In the midst of so many different uh, visions of dryness, of desperation, of panting. We also have these beautiful visions, this vision of a stream of water, of living water that's moving water, and it comes from the temple. It comes from the, 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 the religion or the faith of the people, but in such a way that it flows and it gives life, that there will be fish and all kinds of fish, that the water is life-giving and has all the nutrients that they need. And in fact, even on the banks of the river, Trees will be nourished and they will grow and they will bear fruit and their leaves will not wither. They will have vitality and life and beauty. It's this beautiful picture of the stream of the water of God that flows out of the religious center of the spiritual experience of all of the people. It's the opposite of the valley of dry bones, which is just death and where there is no life. It is the opposite of languishing. It is when you are filled with meaning and purpose and life and love and beauty such that it bears fruit in the lives of the people and the community and even all of the world. It is a beautiful, wonderful picture of what our spirituality ought to look like. And yet, I know that many of us can bear witness to a religion that is stagnant, foul, dry, where there's no life, but sometimes actually a religious experience that produces things like bitterness and anger, resentment, division, and hurt. That in a world where it's so easy to language and languish and struggle, don't do anything to help us. And so sometimes our religions are, are, are streams of, of things like judgment. And we've built a religious system that's built on having the right opinions and believing the right things such that we've exalted that to of great importance or maybe even the most importance And when that happens, the stream that flows out of our religion or out of our faith, out of our our lives is, is one that's very judgmental. If you don't think what I think, if you don't believe what I believe. For some of us, we've built our our religious existence on rules and making sure that we follow the rules and making sure that, that, that we kind of earn a certain form of religious success. And then we find that our river actually runs quite dry. It's just hot. It's stifling. It's hard work. It's taking more out of us than it is putting into us. We feel more like we're in the valley of the dry bones than we are in the stream and in the flow of the living water that flows from the temple and gives life to everything around. There's this Jewish festival. It's called the Festival of Tabernacles or the Festival of Booths. And uh, it was a reminder of God's provision for them. So uh, it was a harvest festival. And one of the things that they would do is thank God for providing for them, uh, for giving to them. They would recall times 
uh, as they often did, like at the Exodus, when uh, God miraculously brought his people out of slavery. We talked about this two weeks ago in Egypt and brought them out into uh, the promised land. But before they got to the promised land, they wandered through the desert. And deserts, as you well know, are dry and they're hot. And they'll take out all of your strength and hydration. And along the way, one of the things that the Festival of Booths would celebrate is the little huts, the little booths that they would put up, just very simple structures that they would live in as they traveled through the desert. And they would remember that, and they would be reminded that God gives us everything that we need, even in hard circumstances. The Festival of Booths also became uh, a festival of, of the harvest, and so they'd be reminded um, that our fruit, that all our crops that we get, the rain that we need to grow the crops are because God is taking care of us and God is providing for us. And they would also celebrate and look forward to a time where God would fully restore them, or they would look forward to what they called the messianic age, when, when God's Messiah, his chosen one, his king, The anointed one would come and he would set all things right back in their community and for their people. And so when they were languishing, this was a festival they'd celebrate over and over again every year. It was a reminder, look in the past when we struggled and when we didn't have enough and when we were dry and when we were in the desert, God gave us these shelters and he gave us water when we needed water. And still today, every year, we celebrate the harvest and that we still have fruit and that we still get rain for our crops even when it seems so dry. And if that has been true, can't we trust? Then in the future, God is going to give us everything that we need to flourish in our lives. And they look forward to the Messiah, the one who would come and provide everything that God was promising for them. One of the things that they would do in this festival is there was kind of a parade. It was like a week-long thing, seven, eight days. And on the last day, there was a procession led by the priests. And they would, take, um, they would take this basin of water that had a spout on it and a handle on it. Uh, they'd fill it with water and they would go from uh, the pool of Shalom and they would go up to the temple and they would circle around it uh, and they would, they would um, read scripture and they would sing scripture. Actually, they would sing um, from the Psalms, Psalm 113 to Psalm 118, uh, which is this, this Hallel, which means to praise, a section of uh, a bunch of Psalms. We, sang, we read some of those words this morning when we were singing these praises to God that they would chant. And then as they got there uh, and they got to Psalm 118, they would quote it, which says a couple of times repeated, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And the Psalm, the next line says, his faithful love endures forever. So picture they, they, they have the, the water and they would also have wine and the priest would be uh, leading this procession and all the people would come. And as they got to the top, they'd be chanting or singing these scriptures, praising God for who he is. And they get there and three times, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And when that happened, uh, all the men, they would take these uh, twigs and leaves and some fruit and they would hold them up and they would wave them, reminding them of God's provision for them and all that they would do. And then the priest would do something that was very, very dramatic. Remember, these people are people who live in a very hot and dry desert climate. And the priest, as, as they are calling this and they're reminding themselves that God is good and God endures and God provides us, the priest would pour out a sacrifice to God. And what he would do is he would pour out wine and then he would pour out water onto the ground. Now in a desert climate where water is extremely valuable, think about this, not, red, not like turn on the tap and we get as much water as we want, but extremely valuable oftentimes where we don't have enough water. We don't know where we're going to get enough water. We need to preserve our drinking water. The priest would take good water and pour it out as they would be reminded that God is good. We give thanks to the Lord for he is 
good because he provides for us and he's provided for us in the past and he's providing for us in the future, uh, the present and he'll provide for us in the future. He gives us everything that we need no matter how dry it seems. You can imagine the dramatic moment when he pours out the water and people, you know, they got to be cringing a little bit going, whoo, we don't pour out water here but being reminded that the water streams from the presence of God himself. It's a famous moment. And that's what we're talking about in this series, making moments famous. These moments that become like celebrities that we should never, ever forget. These significant moments that remind us of who God is and remind us, therefore, of who we are and remind us of how we can live in trust. And so with all that context and with all that procession, with the water being poured out, this is what we read in John chapter 7, which is talking about the last day of the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. Here's what it says, verse 37. On the last day, the climax of the festival, when they do the procession and they pour out the water and they're reminded that God provides everything and they look forward to the messianic age when God will come and give out his spirit in a supernatural, beautiful, full way. Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink for the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And when he said this, living water, he was speaking of the Spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. What a dramatic moment. What a beautiful moment that Jesus picks up. Now, when he quotes this quotation and says that scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart, that is not a direct quotation of somewhere in scripture. It is a paraphrase of the themes that we've been talking about all the way up until this point. That, that the people, the Jewish people had this expectation. They all knew what water meant. They all knew that water meant the presence and the provision and the spirit of God. They all knew about Ezekiel and the stream that was supposed to flow one day from the temple, the center of their, their faith, and that it would give life to them and it would give life to the nations. It would give life to the world. They all knew it. And so when they're pouring out the water and proclaiming that we're looking forward to the time when God will pour out this water in a supernatural way, Jesus stands up and said, if you're thirsty, if you're panting, come to me and anyone who believes or trusts in me may come and drink because the rivers of living water will flow from his heart. That is possibly Jesus' heart, but more likely, more the one who drinks. It will flow from their heart. Jesus will give them that flow that goes from, literally, we put heart here because it's the center of will and emotion, and that's how we, uh, in, in our culture, talk about what that is. Literally, it's the gut. The ancient people would have, similarly to what we call heart, they would have talked about their gut. So when you feel dry in your gut, when you feel that worry and that anxiety and the stress that you carry around in your body, when it holds you there and you're panting for real life and real vitality, that is when Jesus says, come to me and anyone who trusts. And notice, he's not saying come to the temple. Jesus would have gone to the temple and worship at the temple, but there was also a dryness from the temple at that time. And Jesus was saying, but I want to show you, it's not really about the brick and mortar of the temple. Come to me, trust in me. I think he's saying, come and follow me and I will give you rivers of living water that will flow from your gut. That instead of a dryness and an emptiness and a panting, I want to fill you up. And it says right here, with what? With the Holy Spirit that might replenish your resources and give you everything that you need so that the Holy Spirit, that which flows into you, will flow out of you. 
And this is what brings real life and vitality. This is what our spirituality is about. Jesus saying, come and follow me. No pretense, no pretending, just the real deal. Come and trust God that he has a stream of water that wants to give you everything that you need for life and joy and meaning and purpose. And whatever flows into you, if you'll receive it, will then flow out of you. What's the flow of the Holy Spirit? What is the stream of the Holy Spirit? It's not a legalism. It's not a work for it. You don't have to create the river. You don't have to push the river. You don't have to drive the river. You just jump into the river. And the river is the presence of God, the love of God. When you experience and when you let the grace of God come inside of you, when you allow the forgiveness of God to inhabit you, when it comes inside of you, when you allow him to strengthen you with his goodness and his beauty, when that feeds your soul, when you really jump in, when you're immersed in that, then rather than pushing the river and forcing the river and having to create the river, you just let it flow into you and you let it flow out of you. It's the Spirit of God that, by the way, is all around us. And if we'll trust, is in us. You say, was it when I come to church, the Spirit is here? Yes. But you need to know, not when you're here for an hour. And then you go out there and say, I can't wait till I go back. And we sing the songs, a reminder that God's Spirit is with us. But that the, God of, the, God, the Spirit of God, the living God, the vitality of God, the joy of God is available to us at all times and in all situations. And especially when we're panting and we're longing, when there's danger and when there's discouragement, when there's a lack of life and vitality, Jesus says, come to me. And what do you do? Trust me and I will give you living water. I will lead you to the Spirit of God to open your eyes and allow you to experience what it is to jump in and get the stench off of you that all of your all, all of the, the danger and all the predators coming after you are smelling and instead to be refreshed what a beautiful picture of what our spirituality ought to be to trust in the the the, the river of God the stream of God his presence by his Holy Spirit giving us everything that we need. I believe today, even just as we've been singing some songs that have been talking about that, I believe this is God's message to us. I believe there are, are people here today, people watching online, many of us who are feeling so dry, who are feeling, who are feeling so vulnerable, who are feeling like they're in the valley of dry bones and asking, can life come here? Can life be breathed back into these bones? And so desperately need to hear Jesus saying, come to me, trust me, trust me. There's a, liver, a river of life, the Holy Spirit. Come trust me, and I want to show you what it looks like to live in the flow. So can we talk about that for a couple of seconds? How do we jump into and live in the flow of the living water, the Spirit of God, if it is true that God wants to nourish us and He is all around us and even in us, how do we tap into that kind of life and vitality? Uh, there's a number of metaphors in the New Testament about what it looks like to live with the Holy Spirit, to walk in step with the Holy Spirit, for example. Um, I want to take two of those and just share them with you today. Uh, and perhaps it might be just a, a blessing and help us to open our eyes to what the Spirit might be doing in us and around us. The first one, the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians says, don't quench the Spirit. 
Do not quench the spirit. This is the opposite. You might have a fire and you're going to put the fire out. He says, do not do that. In fact, it's what he says. Do not stifle or quench the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, words from God, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good and stay away from every kind of evil. So I would ask this question. What is potentially blocking the flow of the life-giving spirit in your life? What is it that might be quenching the spirit's work in your life? And Paul says, that means you decide, you discern what's good, and you hold on to that, you grasp onto that. And then all sorts of different kinds of evil, those are the things that you want to make sure you stay far away from. And so what is it that's feeding your soul? What's flowing into you? What is it that you're allowing to influence you? What are the words that you're speaking to? Are they words of life or are they words of death? Do they come from a certain podcast or news feed? that just fill you with worries and anxieties and what ifs and, and all kinds of different things that, that put us into a place of anxiety or anger or division or fighting. Paul would say, don't quench the spirit. Stay away from those things that are, are feeding a dryness in your soul. Are they empty? Are they destructive? Stay away. Turn off that faucet. Don't allow that to flow into you. Don't quench the spirit. On the flip side, as we ask God to remove those things and deal with those situations, could be even what are the conversations that you're engaging in, that people are speaking into you, but instead hold on to the, the good. Allow that to flow. The flow of the Spirit is, is love. And that's what you want to hold on to. That's what we want to grasp onto. Even perhaps when you're thinking about your own self-talk and your own, uh, what's going on in your own mind. What are all kinds of evil that maybe are going there where you need to say, God, please take this, these thoughts from me and to hold on to instead of what is good and what is beautiful. Secondly, uh, a metaphor that Paul uses in Ephesians chapter 5 is to drink in the Spirit. So Paul in Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, I don't think I'm supposed to do this, but I'm going to teach you how to get drunk on wine for the sake of the metaphor. Take some wine, let's say it's in the bottle. You pour it into a glass. You drink it. And then you repeat. <laughs> how many times? Well, that is dependent on a number of factors. How big a person you are, how much you've had to eat, there's a whole bunch of things. I'm not going to get into the biochemistry of what happens after that. But you take the wine that's outside of you and you get it inside of you. And the more wine that gets inside of you, over time what happens is you relinquish a little bit more control to the drink. In fact, some people, when we see that they've had too much to drink, we might say they're under the influence. And there's certain things you ought not to do when you're under the influence. Paul says, take the principle, but there's a contrast. Not with the wine, but with the Holy Spirit. Drink in the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Surrender yourself. Become more under the influence of the Holy Spirit. More and more allow His goodness and His love and His grace and forgiveness to flow into you because what flows into you is going to flow out of you. And so drink in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Drink in love. Jump into the stream of goodness and forgiveness of grace. And the more you can live filled up by the fact that God loves you immeasurably, that you can hear the words that Jesus heard at his, his baptism, that you are his beloved and in you he is well pleased. He delights in you. And the more that that can take root in you, the more it will flow outside of you. That when you get jostled in life and things come up, 
Just like if you were carrying a glass of water, what's going to spill out of you? By the way, a great test of what's really filling you and what's inside of you. When things come up in life and jostle you, what spills out? Is it anger? Is it resentment? Is it bitterness? Or as, you, as Paul would say in Galatians chapter 5, would it be the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the fruit that the Spirit produces in us. When the streams of living water, when we fill ourselves, when we drink it in, when we absorb what God has for us, this is the fruit that the streams of life produce. The trees of the world, the flourishing of the, the leaves, and the fruit that is good for everyone. So when we drink in love and forgiveness and acceptance and grace, when that's the stream that flows into us, then that's the fruit that will come out of us. Maybe you're curious on how it worked out for the valley of dry bones. God saying, can there be life here again? Ezekiel saying, God, only you know. Only you could bring life back to these bones. It would have to be a miracle. And maybe some of us, we look at our own lives and we think kind of the same thing. We see a circumstance, we see a struggle, we see a dryness and we're panting. And it would have to be a miracle for God to work good in our lives and in our situation, to breathe back into us that kind of life that produces fruit in, in our lives and in our family and in our community and in the world. So here's how it goes. Then he said to me, God says to Ezekiel, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says, look, I'm going to put breath into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So today, if you're dry and you're panting, if you feel desperate, worried, anxious, if you can feel it in your gut, may you breathe the very breath of God May you drink deeply of the water of life that is God's presence and love. May you be refreshed, replenished, and re-energized with the flow of God's Spirit deep in your soul such that His love streams into you and out of you today and always. Our Heavenly Father, today I want to lift up anyone who's watching here in the room online Perhaps we feel a dryness that is dangerous, a dehydration spiritually. Perhaps we feel a, a struggle and we see dry bones and we don't know if there could ever be life again. I pray, God, today that we would know what it's like to jump into the stream of your living water, your presence, this presence of the Holy Spirit of love and grace, that you would give us that water, that we would know deeply your presence, and that therefore that stream would flow from our gut, from our heart, from our innermost being as our resources are replenished. May we be a resource for others as we simply allow your spirit to flow through us and to them. God, where there are dry bones, we pray that you'd bring life. Where there's dryness, we pray that your water would come. Where there is thirst, God, give us everything that we need. We trust you. 
we know that none of this comes from what we can do or, or work on, but simply to trust that you give us everything that we need. And so as we sing to close our service today, we pray that you would help us to know that it is true to jump into your stream of living water.